Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at a little bit of chapter 4 and a little bit of chapter 5. Um, but I want us to open in prayer before we really get underway here. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for what I believe you have in store for us this morning. These are such rich truths, God, that I believe that if we can walk in these truths, you will open wide a doorway to this abundant life that you have promised us that we will find ourselves so satisfied in. And if we can just get this principle today, that's how significant your truth is that we're going to discover today. And so, Father, I am asking, would you anoint this preacher's words to be able to communicate this important, significant truth so that, Father, we as your people will be able to walk in, obey, and discover and delight in these truths that we're going to look at this morning. God, we need you. Spirit of God, speak through me and to us and allow us and empower us to walk in this truth and discover this abundant life you have for us, God. So Jesus, we're putting you on display this morning and we want to fix our eyes on you, to engage our hearts and so thoroughly captivate our attention this morning that we, as it were, sitting at your face, feet saying, Jesus, speak. Speak to my heart today. Would you do that? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to wrap up our series on a fiery faith with this. We're going to look at a little bit of truth in chapter 4 and um, a little bit more in chapter 5 and, and close out our sermon series in First Peter. How many of you knew of or actually had living in your neighborhood growing up, or maybe you do right now, this teenager? He's like Sid. He's like Sid. And he's ornery. He's just, he's looking for trouble. You know, when I was a young teen, you know, I, wow, I was that guy, okay? I, I would... If, if I just had it out for this family and one family in particular, we would egg their house, their cars, and, and that was me. And Jesus, thank you, Lord, you rescued me from that. But how many of you have ever had like a teenager? Just show me your hands. You, you know of a guy who knows a guy, right? And maybe that teenager lives in your house. This particular teenager, I don't know if his name is Sid or not, but he was a terror. He was a menace in this neighborhood. And he peered over the fence to find the next door neighbor's little boy digging in the dirt. And he looks down at him and he says, little Johnny, what are you doing there? Why are you, why are you digging? Are you trying to like escape your prison by digging a hole under the fence? Or what, are you looking for China? And just, you know, all of these types of sarcastic comments. And, and little Johnny looks up, to him, looks up to, him, to him and says, no, I'm burying my pet hamster who had escaped. And the teenager says, ha. I knew someone was escaping, but why is the hole so big? And he starts laughing, and little Johnny puts the last bit of dirt into the hole padding and says, well, 
because he's inside your stupid cat. Can you spell surprised? (laughs) I believe that today we are gonna look at a truth that will surprise us. I think God wants us to go beyond that surprise though. And actually the very thing that we spend our entire life avoiding is the very thing that God uses to qualify us to walk in every good plan he has for us. The very thing that we spend all of our life trying to avoid, God wants to use that in your life to qualify you to do something in you and qualify you for this abundant life experience that he has for you. And that abundant life is gonna look different from person to person. He's wired you different. He's given you different gifts. He has given you different callings and circumstances. And through all of this, he is qualifying you through this specific truth we're going to look at today. He is going to qualify you and he's preparing you because he has so much life he wants to pour out. He wants so much, he has so many blessings, this amazing inheritance that we have talked about in First Peter. He has it for you. He has these blessings chapter three talks about. They're coming our way, but we've got to get this truth down in our spirits today, this truth. And it is a truth that we run from. We run from it. In John Maxwell's book, Talent is Never Enough. I have like 20 books from this guy. Talent is Never Enough. He is is a Christian. He is a leader himself, a guru in leadership. And he says to the leaders in America, you think you've got talent? It's not enough. And he lists 13 qualities that have to come with your talent. Otherwise, your talent will barely get off the ground. Talent is never enough. Actually, all of those 13 qualities go back to character. They're rooted in character. One of them is actually entitled character. But all of them, perseverance, and they all go back to character. God wants to do this thing, this amazing thing, building these character qualities in us, but he's going to do it in a way that we truly, knee-jerk reaction, we want to run from. How many businessmen stalled or got fired due to a lack of character such as honesty? You remember the Enron explosion? How many successful people, successful, I put in quotes, in Hollywood find happiness so elusive because they lack character? It leads to depression, marital failures, even suicide, the tabloids, that they're all over on the tabloids. How many sports superstars tanked due to a lack of character? I was going to tell you a story a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to do that now about a gentleman. If I mentioned his name, every single one of you would recognize it. But this young man stepped out of his teenage years into the NBA. And he was all the talk. They wanted to build a franchise around this guy. And this guy, he came from what he said was a Christian home. Now, if it was, I don't know. Maybe it was just very religious. I I just don't know, okay? I'm sharing this with you, or I know about this, because when I was at the YMCA, I saw this article about this particular person, decided to read it, and I'm basically sharing with you what he went through. Over the next several years, he actually excelled. But then he got traded 
and then traded again, and his NBA career began to tank more and more and more. He began to implode because of a lack of character. He confesses this. He said, I have five children from five women that I've never been married to. How is it that a young man coming from what he says is a Christian home, and when he steps into the NBA, loses it? He, he gets distracted. He completely lacks sufficient foundation and character for what he needs to have to make it in the NBA. Now, in the article, it talks about a recovery that he is on, and I, I cannot speak to that. I don't know if it's a real recovery or if he's just discovering religion again, because I'm going to just, if I could speak to him right now, I would say, my friend, religion is never the answer. Us doing is never the answer. It is what Christ has done and finding full satisfaction in him and in nothing else, no relationships, not money, not fame, all of the things he says content, just, just sucked him in and pulled him away from his roots. <clears throat> Here is a young man, a star that fell because he totally lacked character. I'm going to suggest to you that what Peter has for us here is the key to see that built into our life. And when that happens, we discover what God defines as success, or in other words, abundant life. And I think everybody here this morning desires that. So what is this thing we avoid that God wants to use to qualify us for every good thing he has planned for us? First Peter chapter 4, verse, 13, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Church, say that word with me, rejoice. Say that word with me again, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that, I want you to underline those two words, so that, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I want us to just camp out a little bit here before we move on to chapter five, and we're going to see this amazing connection here in this truth that when we walk in, get ready, because God is going to do something amazing in you and through you. That's what this whole book is about. It's leading us up to this and then culminating the very end of chapter five, we'll see. What is this thing we avoid? It says right here, don't be surprised. Don't be, don't be that, like that little boy looking over the fence, surprised. Yeah, of course this happened. Yeah, your cat swallowing my hamster, what are you surprised about? But the truth is, when we encounter problems, we do get surprised. Hey, God, look what I've done for you. Look at how I've served you. Look how I've laid my life down for you. I, you know, I came to the altar just last week, and ever since that, it's been nothing but problems, problems, problems. We come to Jesus to avoid our problems. And I'm going to tell you, if that's why you came to Jesus, he is going to allow the problems into your life. He's not going to allow you to escape them because he has something very unusual planned through these sufferings, through these trials. You know what this word, in my Bible, it's translated painful trial. Painful trial. It literally means burning. 
How many of you as a little kid, show of hands, honestly, how many of you as a little kid ever put your hand on the stove? How many of you as an adult ever put your, yeah, right, okay. How many of you when you, you, I did this just not too long ago, put on the mitt, turn the oven off, by the way, (laughs) very important. Reach in, pull the pan out, walk over looking for a place, and then to set it down, I touched it with the other hand. Not thinking, that's a burning. I promise you. I thought about the next pan when I pulled it out of the oven about whether I was going to touch it or not. And we want to avoid these these burning experiences, don't we? But these burning experience is what produces this fiery faith. And that's what we're going to camp on. That's what we're going to talk about today. We've been talking about suffering. We've been talking about faith throughout this First Peter uh, letter, and we're going to culminate with this. But there's something I want. I believe God wants to release this faith in your lives, and this is how He is going to do it through the truth that we're going to discover this morning. So these burnings are not pleasant. We want to avoid them. The word suffering, painful trial, you are suffering. It's not necessarily the persecutions that they're going through because they believe in Jesus, because they choose to stand for Jesus, though that it includes that. This word for suffering is the typical word translated trial or testing or even temptation. This trial, these trials, these sufferings, these hardships, these struggles that you're going through, they are testing you. Even, you could say that there is a temptation in them. So the choice is now yours, Mike. What are you going to do? And there is this temptation. I want to grumble. I want to, oh, I feel like I just want to curse God and die. That's what Job's wife told Job to do. Just curse God and die. And I'm going to challenge you. That is not the answer. But we have this attitude many times. We're serving God, and God, because I'm doing this, I expect you to do this. I expect you to bless me. I expect you to provide for me. I expect you to answer my prayer. I just got to open up. I just got to offer this prayer up to you. You know, pray about it a hundred times. What? No. I just got to say one time, and you're there for me. And I just got to rub the lamp, right? And he's there for me. And we call him this Jesus genie. And that is how many people, when they come to Christ, they treat Jesus. And they don't expect these trials. But it is through these trials that God has something amazing that he is doing. Absolutely amazing. You know, it tests. Tests are another thing that we tend to avoid, isn't it? If you can test out of a test, or if you can do something to get away from doing a test, uh, some of you will even do papers. Why on earth you would do that is beyond me. Maybe it's because you're an English major. I don't know. But they'll do a paper just so they don't have to do it. I'd rather do a test to avoid a paper. Regardless, some of you, you will you, you, you do whatever you can so you don't have to take that final exam, right? And we tend to avoid these tests. We tend to avoid these trials and sufferings. And whenever we start entering them, what do we immediately pray? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but this is like our knee-jerk response. God, take this trial from me. Take it away from me. I don't want it. And That's fine that we pray, God, take it away. But many times, God wants to work through that trial. So don't be surprised 
Is the trial coming from the devil? It may very well be. We live in a broken world, and he's going to use that to test you and discourage you and make you curse God, make you grumble like the Israelites. And he is trying to set you up so that you do not receive that life, that abundance that God has for you. What does he tell you to do? Look at that next verse, but. That tells me there's a contrast here. You're surprised, but I want you to what? Tell me, church, what is it? What is that word? Come on, a little bit louder. What is that word? Rejoice. I don't know, maybe you're hesitant because you're reading from a different translation and you're wondering. Okay, I can assure you, your translation does not say grumble. So you're okay. if It says rejoice. Rejoice in this. Don't be surprised. Rejoice in your struggles. This word for rejoice, the Greek word, it's deep here. Are you ready? It means, ready for this? Write this down. It means rejoice. Yep, it means rejoice. It means rejoice. It, for you, can you grumble and rejoice at the same time? Have you ever tried doing that? Can you grumble? Can you complain and rejoice at this? I don't know. Maybe if you deceive yourself into thinking. You can't. They're opposites. But don't be surprised. When you're surprised, you grumble. When you're surprised, it's like, God, what are you up to here? I thought that this life with you was going to fix my problems, and it just seems like there are more of them. Don't be surprised. Don't grumble. Instead, but rejoice. Rejoice. Now, here's something that's interesting. <laughs> I had you underline those two words so that. You know, I had you do that because it says rejoice so that when Christ's glory is revealed, you will be overjoyed. Now, this word overjoyed actually is two words. It's a repetition of that first word rejoice. And then the next word causes that first word to be like on steroids, okay? It says, it's, it's this word for rejoice that is leap with joy. So you're not just going to rejoice, but you're going to rejoice with leaping with joy. Now here, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, I'm wondering, okay, so God, if we rejoice in our present sufferings, that will cause us at the end of the age when God, Christ's glory is revealed to jump up and down and shout with joy. Remember, I remember the last time that I actually did that. Yes, yes. It was the beginning of January. It was a Sunday evening. And my eagles were playing the Patriots, okay? Do I even need to go any further? No, but I will. And there they were, and I was amazed. I can't tell you how many times I got up out of my chair and jumped up, and I fist-pumped the air, yes, yes. And I rejoiced. I was amazed. I just stood back there. They're doing this beyond my expectations. And I was, I was absolutely amazed at what Nick Foles was doing. They just constantly in preceding weeks for an entire month even, church, they, they, they trash-talked him. Uh, here's a guy, you know, and, and, and they talked about his backstory and how the Philadelphia Eagles just acquired him. Yeah, we'll kind of use him as our backup, but, you know, oh, well. The guy's tanked in his, in, in, in his quarterback experience, so hopefully, you know, Carson Wentz will not get injured. 
ding, ding, ding. Well, hello. He got injured, and for the last, what is it, three or so games, Nick Foles played, and he didn't do that great in those three games. But I want to tell you about the game he played against the Patriots. So I was fist pumping. And I'm going to tell you that by us rejoicing, and I need to elaborate on why this is so why this is so important, but when you rejoice in the struggles that you go through, when Christ's glory is revealed, you're going to fist pump, yes! And I want to ask why, what is the big deal? So go with me, keep your, keep your thumb in the pages here, and I want you to go over to 1 Thessalonians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. We're going to discover a word here and I want to pursue it just a bit. He's talking about when Christ comes again, verse 7, revealed from heaven in his in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He says he's going to come, bring everlasting destruction, <coughs> excuse me, to those who have rejected him, to those, <coughs> excuse me, who have actually persecuted these Thessalonians for their faith. And then verse 13, he says, on the day... He comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you and you embraced the gospel and the richness of that truth. You were rescued. But he says when he comes on that day, he's going to be glorified. And it says this, to be marveled at. You know what that word marvel at means? And, and it's, it's, it's in the word, but it's how it's used in the New Testament that amazes me, that causes me to marvel, okay? And it's this. Every time it's used, sometimes it's used in a negative sense, sometimes it's used in a positive sense. Trust me, in this verse, the one we just looked at, it's in a positive sense. But it is an amazement that what's happening here goes beyond or falls way far short of our expectations. Jesus marveled when he walked on water and stepped in. He marveled at their lack of faith. That's a negative way it's used. Let me tell you a positive way. The Roman centurion, remember, he sends a delegation to Jesus two different times, the elder, Jewish elders, second time his friends, <clears throat> and Jesus turns around and he says he marveled at the Roman centurion's faith because the Roman centurion said, Jesus, look, you don't even need to come to my house. You just need to speak the word. You don't need to touch the servant. You, don't even, you can be miles and miles away. And Jesus was when this happened, miles and miles away. You just need to speak the word. And I understand this concept of authority and I'm going to be good with that. And I'm going to believe that just by speaking that word, my servant is going to be healed. This was such a demonstration of faith. But this guy's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He, hasn't, he, he, didn't, he wasn't born into this new covenant. He didn't grow up learning about Jesus or, or learning about the, the faith in God and, and the Old Testament and, and all of the, this, new co this, this covenant in the Old Testament. He didn't grow up learning this. And yet... He had come to an understanding of this truth and who the real true God is. And he walked in faith greater than 
anyone Jesus had met yet. He marveled at his, at his faith beyond expectation. So do you see that we have certain expectations when it says, at the end of the age, when Jesus' glory oh, is revealed. Yeah, 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 Jesus' glory is revealed. No, when Jesus' glory is going to be revealed, it is going to be beyond expectations. It is going to be fist-pumping rejoicing on our part. And I want to ask why and how is that, church? Why is this something to be so excited about? And it's because of this. Do you remember Romans 8? When we went through the, the, the book of Romans, we discovered this particular passage, and it says here in verse 17, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And it says this, I consider that our present sufferings, all those struggles that you're going through right now, how hard and intense they are and how much you are wanting to avoid them, consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. When Jesus comes back, Paul communicates to the Thessalonians, we are coming back with him. Actually, when he comes back, he is going to come into the atmosphere and he will sound the last trumpet, the shout of the and command of the archangel will be given and the dead in Christ will be raised, will be raised and then those who are alive and remain will follow. That is our resurrection. That is the full revelation of the sons of God, that creation that causes so much suffering in our life and to personify uh, this creation, we would say creation groans. Creation is so sorry that because of how it has been cursed, it is causing so much trouble amongst the sons of God. But when they're revealed, they will, it will rejoice because it will see this is the end goal. That is the end game. That is what all of this, all of this curse and struggle that we're going through, that is what it is pointing to. So something is happening here that if we learn to rejoice, we will super rejoice then because it is then, listen to this, it is then that all of these sufferings that we're going through that's transforming us more and more, as scripture says, from glory to glory into the image of Jesus so that when we are revealed, when we receive our resurrection bodies, when the sons of God are fully manifested, and that's you and me, when we come with Jesus and we are clothed with our resurrection body and all of the glory of Christ revealed in his church, then we will be like Jesus. And every trial that you have gone through, every struggle that you have faced and submitted to God to, that he was able to then work through it, that formed Christ in you. And this is the eternal glory that we look forward to. God is afoot here, church. God is doing something in your struggles. Now listen to this. When he is using these struggles, you have to rejoice. If you do not rejoice, what God is trying to do in you 
He can't. He is frustrated, if you will. His purposes are frustrated. They're butting up against your complaining and your heart that is turning away from him. And instead of rejoicing, we grumble. Instead of rejoicing, we say, God, I'm tired of this. I'm wearied. I just want, to, I just want my life to be better. I, I'm sick and tired of how you treat me and how you've abandoned me. And I want to tell you, is your heart positioned for God to do anything in your life at that point? It's not. It's like putting your hand on a stove. You see, Jesus understands this. He understands when you're going through these burnings, that you want to run. You want to avoid them. And Peter is saying, but listen, listen, please. Just listen. If instead of focusing on how much it hurts and how hard it is and how much it burns, I want you to see a different side to this. I want you to see how God is going to use this in, in, in your life for his glory, working in you, transforming you, changing you. It's about character. Do you want to be a superstar in the NFL? Then you need character, my friend. Do you want to be a success in this business world? Talent's not enough. God must form the character of Christ in you, and he's going to do it in this unusual way of burning, of trials, of testings. And he's asking you this morning, can you rejoice? Can you set your heart up for this expectation of God doing something good in the midst of this trial? Because if you can rejoice in it and not complain, then it's as if that door is, the doors are flung wide and God says, awesome, now I can step in and I'm going to amaze you about what I'm going to do. And if we do this, if you do this, when Jesus comes back, you are going to jump up in the air, fist pump, and say, yes, God, all of that is for this. All of that is for what you have been doing in my life, and you couldn't see it. You could not see it, church. Do you remember the illustration I gave some weeks ago, some months ago, actually, of the tapestry? And you're looking at the underside of the tapestry and how the colored yarns are tied together, and it looks absolutely horrendous. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then, when you step around and look at the other side, church, you're going to fist pump the air. God is working something, and you cannot see. You can get little glimmers. Praise God for the little glimmers. But he's saying, can you trust me in this? Rejoice in your suffering so that when his glory is revealed, you're going to rejoice with excessive joy, with leaping in the air. Yes. Not just, thank you, Lord, the trials are finally over, and you're going to wipe every tear. I'm looking forward to that. I am. But understand this, that your rejoicing now is setting God up to do this amazing work in your life, that when you finally see the top side of the tapestry, it is, yes, God, yes. Now, I want to transition to this into the next chapter here, and I want us to see something in chapter 5 that... Peter ends up concluding his book with. Let me tell you, the, anyone who is dying, you want to listen to their last words. Anyone who is an author, you want to read their last book. 
what is it? What deposit is there so that they're putting like an exclamation mark on the end of their life? This is the end of the book. This is Peter saying, if you didn't get any of this, you got to get this. You got to get this. And he ties these struggles that we go through to this roaring lion and how we are to respond. Are you ready? He says this in chapter 5, verse 9, excuse me, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone, okay, that's you, seeking for someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The same kind of sufferings. <coughs> I believe, I'm just going to state it up front, I believe that this rejoicing that Peter has called these believers to activates faith. It activates faith. You cannot separate rejoicing from faith unless you just do it mechanically. Yeah, I guess I got to rejoice in this. Well, you can rejoice, but God knows where your heart is. When the dad told the boy to take his toys upstairs and he, he, he was balking at it. He said, you get up there, you're going to be disciplined. <sighs> okay, I'll obey you. And he starts stamping his feet as he goes up. And he says, Dad, I may be obeying outside, but I'm not inside. And that's the attitude. We can have that attitude. I'm not, I'm not saying that that is the attitude we're supposed to. Don't, 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 don't obey this outwardly. Obey it in your hearts. Okay? So rejoicing activates or is an activation of faith. <laughs> Rejoicing activates faith. Grumbling closes the door to faith. Do you remember what happened when the 12 spies were sent into the promised land? This is something they had been looking forward to, church, for over 400 years. And now this promise of God, and he prophetically told us what would happen, and it is going exactly according to his plan. So if he promised us this land flowing with milk and honey, don't you think he will actually deliver the goods? But what do they do when they get back? The 10 spies, you remember, we can't. They're going to devour us. They are a land of people, of giants, and it says this, they are the land itself will devour us. They were the ones standing before the roaring lion saying, you know what? He's just going to devour. I mean, that's, his, that's, his, that's the adjective. He's the devouring lion. He's going to do what? Yeah, he's going to devour us. Well, it is true the devil is a, is a lion seeking who may devour. But the truth is, it was the two spies, it was Joshua and Caleb who said this with faith. They didn't grumble. Chapter 14, verse 1, it says, all the Israelites grumbled. But then how did Joshua and Caleb respond? Verse 7, chapter, Numbers 14, 7, and they said to the entire Israelite community, listen to this release of faith, this rejoicing. The land we passed through and explored 
is exceedingly good. It is absolutely amazing. I mean, think about it, church. I'm pausing here. They came back with clusters of grapes. These clusters of grapes were so huge that it took two people to carry them, each end of the pole to carry a cluster of grapes. When I go to the store and buy a cluster of grapes, I can pick it up with two fingers, okay? The cl- these clusters of grapes took two grown men to carry it. Awesome! And this is the abundance that God promised. This is the abundance in this life we have with Jesus that he is offering you. But church, there's a land that wants to devour you. There's a lion who wants to devour you. And how are you going to respond? Are you going to grumble? Are you going to say, God, where are you in the midst of the struggle of mine? Have you abandoned me? It's as if, God, you're not even hearing my prayers. So what's the use? That's not Joshua or Caleb's response. I'm going to read that little portion again before I go on. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, because we have faith, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Stop your grumbling Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. We will devour them. Do you see the contrast here? You think you're going to be devoured? Not you, by faith, will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord, Yahweh, covenant on him, Yahweh is with us. Do not Be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Yes, it is true that the devil is a roaring lion. But the the lion's roar truly is not the problem. He is roaring. And what happens is, if you go out to the safari, into the (laughs) wherever they are in, in Africa, when the lion roars... He has listened to how we in English call it. He roars so that the prey runs into the pride of lionesses. Interesting. We, out of fear, run from the devil right into his trap. And what does faith do? Faith resists him. Faith doesn't run away from the the roar. Church, faith runs to the roar. When the devil is seeking to devour you and he's throwing these struggles and trying to get into you a spirit of complaining, I want to challenge you, run to the roar. Now, the devil cannot harm you. He cannot harm you. I was reading a blog from uh, uh, Chris Franz. You, You... Sanford 2015, okay, I, I get his blog, I, I, I don't know, it's kind of new, I don't know if it's every week or whenever, and he entitles this blog, get ready for this, he says, spider lifts 220 pounds in Africa. Ooh. You just have this picture of this super buffed spider lifting 220 pounds in uh, whatever gym a spider would go to. I don't know. 220, what? And then he tells the story. 
that a woman walked into her bedroom and saw a spider and ran into the other room and jumped up onto the table. And they walked into expecting this huge, ferocious, growling, menacing, fang-filled mouth of a spider ready to chew him and devour him up. And it's this little tiny spider, you know, off in the corner, cowering. And it's this weak little spider, and yet that spider had the ability to lift this 220-pound woman up onto the table. Woo! Now, it was because he was so buffed with huge muscles. No, he used what? He used fear, didn't he? And that's what the devil is like. He can't make you be afraid. He can only make you afraid if you give in to it. The devil can't lift any 220 pounds. The devil... Can, he, he does not have the ability to make you do anything. That's why he roars. It's just a roar. Church, when you hear him roar, you're going to do what? Run to the roar. You're going to face him. You're going to stand your ground. So here's what I want to do in the vast few minutes that I've got here. I want us to look at this amazing challenge, resist him, standing firm, in the faith. Church, if you get this, and I'm going to paint a picture for you with some scripture passages. If you get this, I can guarantee you're going to put your head down on your pillow tonight, and you're going to sleep the soundest you have for weeks and months if you've been struggling with trials. This word resist that's used here, and I'm not going to get into the pronunciation of the Greek words, and you have to say, Pastor Mike, how do you spell that? Okay, but it is so similar yet different than the word that's used in verse 5. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Now, your version may use the same word here as it does in verse 9. God opposes the proud. Verse 9, oppose him, the roaring lion, standing firm in the faith. So in our English, we're not going to see the difference. So the NIV mixes that up a bit. God opposes the proud... But here, we need to resist the devil. Well, that's good, but it still doesn't help me a whole lot, so I'm going to help us. I'm going to help us understand this word, resist this devil here. This first, let me tell you what it's not. This first word, oppose, God opposes the proud. It literally means to be arrayed in battle against. And yes, it is a military term, fighting. It's interesting, though, that this is how God treats the proud. But we are not called to fight the devil because this word that's used to array yourself in battle against is a military it, it word. It is an offensive word. It is a word that goes out and with sword in hand swashes his way into the thick of the battle and destroys the enemy. And this is how our God will treat the proud. He is arrayed in battle against them and he will refuse his grace to them. But the humble who do what he says here in verses 8 and 9, he will dispense his grace. But this word resist is not that word. This word is a different word. It means to set oneself against or oppose. But let me share with you how it's used. Now, I'm going to share only two verses. There's numerous ones that we could look at. 
in James chapter 4, verse 7. It's a very similar discussion. Actually, both Peter and James in James 4 quote the very same proverb, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. But James goes on and says, rebuke him or oppose. First it says, excuse me, submit to God and rebuke the devil or oppose him. And this is our word for resist and he will flee. And I'm only bringing that up. It's the same word in verse 9, not verse 6, in verse 9, resist the devil. By the way, this word resist, sometimes I think we get this impression of just willpower against willpower. And I'm going to tell you, if that's what you're going to import into this word, you will miss what I'm going to say. This is an aggressive word. It is not a passive word. It is an aggressive word. And you're going to see how this works out in just a moment. This is not go into the battle. Go into the battle with the devil. Pull out your sword and defeat the devil. Or we're going to see that it doesn't work that way. This is a word, okay, oppose, resist, fine. But here's, here's another context in which it's used. Do you remember when Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh's court? And God had, Moses had originally asked him, God, what if they don't believe me? I mean, you're telling me to go before the most powerful man on the face of this earth and say, you need to release all of those Jewish slaves. There were about two million of them. I would say at least half of them, with any general population, at least half of them were working in the Egyptian economy. How can, for free, How can you tell the most powerful man in the world to release one million of his workforce? His economy would tank. And by the way, that is what happened when they released the the, the Hebrews. Their economy tanked. An historian tells us that this happened. But when Moses, so God tells Moses, okay, I've got two signs for you. I'm going to tell you just about one. You're going to put your hand in your arm. your cloak there, it's going to come out leprous. You're going to put it back in, and it's going to come out totally fine. But here's the one that I want to draw your attention to. He says, then I want you to take your staff, put it on the ground, and it's going to turn into a snake. So Moses does this. I can only imagine this sense, Ooh, yeah, God is going to show up today. And he puts his his staff down on the ground, slams it down, and he says to the Egyptian Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's thinking, you think you're the tough guy in the, in the neighborhood? You're the new guy. Show me what you got. So Moses takes his staff, and he lays it down on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And I can only imagine the smug look on Moses' face like, how about that one? So it tells us, Paul tells us the two Egyptians, Janus and Jambres, look at each other and they say, we got this. And they take their staff. Okay, they didn't exactly say that. They lay their staff down and their staffs turn into snakes. So now, church, do the math. It's two snakes against one. And it says that Janus and Jambres, listen to this, Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Now, this is a negative 
way in which this is used because their opposition fell flat because you remember the story. You know how it turns out. Those two snakes, it's two snakes against one. Moses is probably thinking, okay, God, you really got to show up now. And what happens? Moses' snake slithers over and looks back at the two thumbs up. We got, I got this. And he goes over and it says he devours the two snakes, eats them up, gobbles them up. And then you can imagine the Moses looks back at Aaron and says, oh yeah, high five, boom. Yes, God, fist pumping the air. They, they opposed him, but you see, God was stronger. And God came through. And these two snakes could not match God's sapphire. Do you, remember, do you know that from the moment of that time before the bush and God said, here's the sign I want to give you. From that moment on, that staff was no longer called Moses' staff. It was the staff of God. And Moses laid down the staff of God and it turned into a snake and it devoured the other two snakes. And I want to tell you, you might feel as if you are outnumbered by the devil, but you are not. The devil comes to oppose you. He comes to devour you. Yes, he is twice your size. He is stronger than you. He's smarter than you. He's more cunning and strategic than you. It is a mismatch right up until until you oppose him in the faith and you choose to run to the roar. And that is when God, is, it's as if we are saying, okay, God, have Adam. Moses kind of kicking the snake, go for it, dude. And he just slithers over to those other two snakes, boom, down for the count, devours them like that. The devil is seeking to devour you, but when you oppose him steadfast in the faith, you, my friends, will find God devouring him. That's why this is, he's not telling you, go into the thick of the battle. Moses didn't go in there with a sword. He went in there with a staff, the staff of God. And it, the power of God was activated by faith. I believe that when you rejoice, you are activating this faith of God. You are standing firm in the faith, and you are resisting the devil. You're not giving in to fears. The devil can't lift you. He can be twice your size, but the Bible tells me that when we oppose him, when we run to the roar, it says that that's when the devil is defeated. How do we know this? How do we know this? It says it right here in the very next verse, after you suffered for a while. Okay, I'm not promising you that you're not going to, I'm not promising you that your suffering will immediately stop. Oh, great, you're rejoicing. I see Mike Curtis, he's rejoicing. Yes, finally, faith is being released. He's looking to me, fully relying upon me. I'm going to cut off those trusts. No more, we're done. You know what, Mike? You're going to need to suffer a little bit more because I'm doing something. I've got to do this. Can you trust me? I'm working in this. I'm working in this. I'm working something in you. You're going to need to suffer a little while. But after you suffered a little while, I want you to underline. You see that in the verse I'm reading? I want you to underline a little while. It is not going to be forever, church. There's going to be an end that will come to it. That's his promise. It's going to come to an end. But when it does, listen to this. Listen to this. After, it, you know, after you've suffered a little while with him 
excuse me, let me back up. Uh, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, suffering glory, after you've suffered a little while, will himself, he will do this, church. He will restore you. <laughs> he will make you strong. He will make you firm. He will make you steadfast. To him be the power. The strength is what this word is. Forever and ever, amen. That's how he ends his letter. Can you just step back and say, whoo, man, this is how God promises you will triumph from glory to glory. But you got to praise him, church. You got to run to the roar. You got to resist him steadfast in the faith. I'm not saying that you go at the devil with a sword. You go at the devil with a staff, if you will. You go at the devil slamming down the staff saying, you shall not pass. You get it. And so here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say, church. If you're grumbling, you're working against God. If your attitude has turned sour, he cannot work in you. He wants to restore you, and you're cutting him off. He wants to firm you up, and you're holding him back. Rejoice. Stand firm in the faith. Slam that staff down. Tell the devil, you shall not pass. And run to the roar. Stand your ground. I hope that doesn't sound contradictory. I know metaphorically it does. Standing your ground yet running to the roar. But you, you follow me, right? It's when we run away from this devouring lion. That's when we run into the, listen, pride of lionesses. That's right. Because pride is self-reliant. Pride is fear-driven. Pride is worry-driven. Pride says... You know what? I got this. And God says, no, you don't. No, you don't. I got this. Can you let me? Can you stand with me, church? Some of us today, you're not running to the roar. You've jumped up on the table. Maybe you feel like that spider cowering in the corner. I don't know. You feel like you're in opposition. Can we kill the lights? You feel like you're in opposition and you're giving in. And I'm going to encourage you right now. Let's settle this right now, right now, right this moment. Don't give it any more thought. You've been thinking about it for the last 45 minutes I've been preaching. Think, make the decision now. I will not complain. I will not be like those 10 spies. I will walk in faith I will rejoice in the land that God has given me that will itself devour the enemy. I will enjoy all of the fruit and blessing of this promised land. And I will rest in that. Spirit of God. Go beyond these words, Lord. They mean absolutely nothing if we do not respond to you right now. Win our hearts right now, Jesus. Take this grumbling attitude and we're right now laying it at your altar. 
the frustration, the fear, the anxiety, the anger, the feelings of rejection. None of these are from you, God. The devil has stirred them up in the midst of our struggles. Would you now help us? Right now, God. Fill our hearts with an ecstatic joy. You truly are in God. Get that in our spirits. That is truth. It is a promise to us of what these things will do. So we rejoice. That's our commitment. Father, we are actually committing to something that is beyond us. Because we're in the midst of it and the emotions are raging. We don't want to rejoice. And so we're asking you, God, please, you got to take my heart right now before the next trial. Because if you don't do it between now and then, then I'm not going to rejoice. I'm not going to release faith. I'm not going to see the devil flee. And I will be devoured. So God, right now, I am asking, take a hold of my heart. Shape it. Mold it. Because I'm turning to you right now. And right now, anyway, I am rejoicing. And I am asking you, God of heaven, step into my world and do something in my heart and remove this ache and this resistance to you. I don't want it anymore, God. Release faith in me, God. Release faith in me, Jesus. Father, for those of us who are hurting so deeply right now, begin to soothe us and calm us, and yes, even heal us. Heal us, Jesus. If you want to just kneel where you're at, if you want to come to the altar, but church, before you go, let's get this, let's get this, let's respond to it. God, you are good. Never do anything that is not good. Not ever, ever. And today we're saying, I can trust you in this. This trial, you're going to do something good. No, no, you're going to do something amazing. I'm going to marvel at it beyond my expectations. That's what I'm going to do. Spirit of God, just come right now in our heart. Fill us with your joy in the midst of this heartache and release faith. And then devour my enemy. And then allow me to walk in the abundance of your inheritance with me. And then may I enjoy you forever.